You're listening to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. Today's message comes from Senior Pastor Aaron Klein. Amen. You know, I love uh, this morning as uh, we gather together, you get a very special moment this morning as the sun shines in, uh, not just into my own face and into my own eyes, but uh, to highlight the cross. And as I was standing there singing this morning, what I was reminded of is that as the sunlight shines in on that cross this morning, we are reminded that we believe that that cross is empty, that that tomb was empty because Jesus Christ truly is alive. And that is what we celebrate together today. And that is the good news that changes everything. And so I pray that as we spend some time together this morning in God's word, that God is going to proclaim his life-giving power through our risen Lord Jesus. And I am reminded that this morning, you do not need to hear a word from me. We need to hear a word from God. And so I invite you as we come to the word that you would join me in prayer. So would you pray with me, please? Lord, we come to you today. And as we read together last week, it is your word that is living and active, that it is your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword, that, Lord, indeed, you are cutting through the clutter of our lives, separating joint and marrow, bone and spirit. And, God, we would pray that this morning you would sharpen us through your word, that you would reveal to our hearts and lives what it is that you desire we would know. And we pray, God, that this would be a place that is filled with faith, faith in the power of the risen Lord Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, come this morning, sweep through this place, speak powerfully into our hearts and lives so that we would leave here as a people who have been forever changed and transformed by the power of your word, the power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray all of these things in his most holy name. Amen and amen. Friends, that really is uh, what we believe happens as we gather together in this place. We believe that Jesus has conquered, that death has been defeated, that sin has been defeated, and that that grave was empty because we believe in a risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I recognize that as Christians, we actually celebrate the fact that that grave was empty, Every Sunday when we gather together is actually a resurrection Sunday. We believe that Jesus Christ has conquered death. But today, as we gather together, how special it truly is that we get to celebrate today the day when it actually happened. And our prayer is that you would know today that because Jesus Christ is risen 
we too can rise because of the risen power of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, over the course of these past weeks, I've been actually taking you on a journey with us to the Holy Lands, where we spent some time a few weeks ago. And while we talk about the life-changing power of Jesus, there were a couple of moments that on that trip that we really experienced that life-changing power where we saw it come to life. And one of those moments was when we were sailing on the Sea of Galilee. This picture that you will see is from the Sea of Galilee where we worshipped a few Sundays ago. And what was so amazing on that day was how calm the water was, how there was no one on the water. What's amazing about, they call it the Sea of Galilee, but it really is a lake, a small lake around which is surrounded by all of these mountains. But in this one particular area is where you can see this valley that comes down. This is where the winds pull into the lake and create the storms. And so to be able to stand here on the water and to be able to see the, the very place where Jesus would have calmed the storms, where Jesus would have walked on the water, showing and revealing the very power of God was such an incredibly moving experience. The other experience was seeing those places where they believed that Jesus was crucified and where he was buried. Uh, the first picture that you see here is a picture of what is known as the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And in this very spot where you see those people underneath the altar is one of the places where they believe that Jesus was crucified. And you'll notice you can wait hours to come in and to touch that very stone. You'll see on either side is a glassed in area where they believe was the top of the Mount or Golgotha where Jesus was crucified. And underneath that little altar is a place where it's open. You can actually reach in and touch it. But the next picture is also in the place, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And you will notice this is a church that is built over the top of what they believe is the tomb where Jesus was buried. What's amazing about this is you'll notice this is a church with another church built over the top of it. And this too is a place where people would wait hours to be able to go in and to see what they believe is the tomb where Jesus was buried. But there's another place that they believe that Jesus could have been crucified. This powerful place. I want you to see this here. This is a picture of what is known as Golgotha. Right? And so you'll see it. It's, I circled it in red. This is a picture of a picture uh, of what it used to look like years and years ago. But clearly, what it says is that when Scripture says Jesus was crucified at Golgotha, the place of the skull, you can see how clearly that looks like the place of the skull. What's interesting about this area now is you'll see in the next picture here, this is actually a bus lot now. And so there's a bus parking lot all around, but you can still see there, kind of in the lower right hand, you can see two little eyes and a nose, and you can see the mouth underneath. You see the, the wall that's up above and the place where they believe that Jesus was crucified. And just a couple hundred feet 
from where this is, is a place that is known as the garden tomb. And this picture that you'll see here, this is a hole that's hewn out in the rock itself. You can actually, though the stone is not there, you can actually see the track on which the stone would have laid. And what's amazing is that this garden tomb area still has a wine press that is there, a beautiful garden that still exists. And we know Joseph of Arimathea, his, this place where he had taken Jesus uh, and where he was buried. What really is amazing, though, this is what just such this moving experience is when you go inside, you'll see this next picture here. And that is the inside of, of the tomb. And to be able to think about the fact that where, when the disciples and where the women entered in to see a place where an angel would have sat and would have said, he is not here. He is risen just as he said. And it's here. The reason it was so moving is because we celebrated the Lord's Supper in this garden together. And the reason that I share these pictures with you, beloved people, is, is not just to give you a tour of some of the things that we have seen. The, the, the point is, in both of these areas where they believe that Jesus was crucified and where he was buried, the point is this. Both of those tombs are empty. <laughs> Jesus is not there. We believe that Jesus has conquered death that he has conquered hell itself, and that he is risen from the dead. And what we want you to know and experience today is that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is here in this place today. You too can experience the risen power of Jesus Christ through faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I pray that you're going to keep these images, these things that we have seen in mind as we turn to our sermon text together today. Today we're continuing on in our sermon series on the book of Hebrews as we turn together to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 to 510. Now here's what you need to know as I was developing this sermon series, I wanted to be in this scripture passage on this day. So this is the day that we built this sermon series around, and we worked backwards to know when to start it, back in February, so that we could be right here today. Now, truth be told, I would actually rather be in Hebrews 8, 9, or 10 during Easter, but that's all right. We couldn't be there because of timing. So Hebrews chapter 4 it is. Now, if you've been with us over the past couple of weeks, and even if you haven't, one of the things that I want you to know is what we've been talking about is the fact that Jesus is greater. This idea that Jesus is greater than Adam, that Jesus is greater than Moses, that Jesus is greater than any angel. And as a result, because Jesus is greater, we need to pay attention we should pay attention to the things that we have seen and the things that we have heard. There have been these warnings to listen and to obey. Last week, we saw as Jesus walked the Palm Sunday road into Jerusalem, there were pictures that you saw of graves on the side of this road. 
that Jesus walked of people who died waiting for the Messiah who had already come. But because they believed Jesus was not the Messiah that they were looking for, what did they do? They crucified him. And so these were people, as the passage said, who hardened their hearts to the truth of who Jesus Christ really was. And they missed out on the true promise of God. And the point is this, I don't want you to miss out on the hope that we have in God. I do not want you to harden your hearts, as we heard last week. Do not harden your hearts as the people did in Mirabah, as they wandered in the desert. In fact, I came across this cute little story, uh, and it fits so much for Easter. It said this, some folks are like Easter eggs, ornamented on the outside, but hard-boiled on the inside. And you know, isn't that truth? You know, you and I can come to church on a Sunday morning, and maybe on a Sunday morning, like Easter morning, we dress up in our very best, and so we look good on the outside, but the truth is that our hearts have been hardened. They've been hard-boiled against the things of God But what this sermon series has been trying to say is that the Word of God is living and active. And it desires to cut through the very parts of our heart that would desire to keep God away. To open them up to the things of God. And what we know how this happens is through a heart of faith. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, even if you haven't been here for this sermon series, everything that we're talking about together today stands on its own. We're going to hear these incredible themes about how Jesus Christ empathizes with our weaknesses, with our failures, and how Jesus lived a perfect life without sin. What we are going to hear is how Jesus is the greater high priest and our sacrificial lamb. I loved how Judy and Andrew did such a a masterful job of designing our Monday Thursday service and how these themes of Jesus Christ as our high priest and our sacrificial lamb were brought before us, walking us through Hebrews. And we arrive at this passage today reminding ourselves that Jesus truly is our high priest and our sacrificial lamb. And so as we talk about these things, we're going to unpack the passage together. I'm going to take us back a little bit later on to what we experience in Israel and how we need to come to this place of making a, a decision about what we believe about Jesus Christ. But before we dive into a passage, I know it's going to be a serious passage. I'm going to, I'm going to try out a little, a little story, a little joke on you. Let's see, let's see how you take it. All right. The story is told of a husband and a wife and a mother-in-law who traveled to the Holy Lands. While they were there, unfortunately, the mother-in-law passed away. After she had passed, he spoke there to a local funeral home director. And as he spoke with the funeral home director, the director said, well, it's either going to cost you $5,000 to ship her back home, or you can pay $150 and you can bury her right here in the Holy Lands. Man thought about it for a moment. He says, you know what? We'll ship her back home. 
And the man thought, well, wait a second. You could save yourself all kinds of money, $5,000 to send her back home. She could be buried right here in the Holy Lands for only $150. Sir, why would you choose that? The man said, 2,000 years ago, there was a man who was buried here and rose again three days later. We love you, mother-in-laws, I promise, right? All right, well, that out of the way. Let's turn to our scripture passage this morning. It comes from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 5, verse 10. So hear now the reading of God's word. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. <laughs> Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And may God bless the reading of his word to our hearts and lives today. All right, so the question is, what in the world is going on here? What is this discussion around Jesus being a high priest? Now, to help us with this, it's probably good to go back to the Old Testament so at least you get a better understanding of what's being talked about here. And here's what you need to remember. When God led the people out of Egypt as they are in the wilderness, what did God do but give a detailed description of how the people are supposed to worship him? A large part of this discussion is actually around the formation of priests. Specifically, the priestly tribe of Levi. And their job was to serve in the tabernacle, later in the temple, and they would offer sacrifices which had been brought by the people. And so people would bring their grain offerings, they would bring their animal offerings, and the priest would offer them before God. 
In many ways, the priest functioned as a mediator or as a go-between between God and people. The priest would represent the people before God, and the priest would represent God amidst the people. Now, that may be a little bit overly simplistic, but what we see is Scripture says that Jesus is our great high priest. We're going to keep coming back to this theme later on in Hebrews. I want us to understand this is really a 30,000-foot view today of the study of what it means that Jesus is our great high priest. These are things that we're going to unpack more in weeks to come. We're really not even going to talk much today about Melchizedek and who he was. We're going to save that for later weeks. But ultimately, what I want you to see is that because Jesus is our great high priest— And because he is our sacrificial lamb, it brings glory and honor to Jesus. It is the reason why we celebrate together on this Easter morning. And because Jesus is our high priest, and because he is our sacrificial lamb, we can approach the throne of God with confidence. The only way that we can approach the throne of God with confidence. And so let's begin together this morning by talking about the nature of the high priest. If you're following along and taking notes, it's the nature of the high priest. Now, in the background that I gave you a moment ago, I was talking simply about priests themselves, not about high priests. So let's spend a moment and talk about what the high priest does. The high priest was someone who was chosen by God, and they had a very special role, an additional role amongst all of the priests. They had an annual duty of going before the Lord and offering atonement, right, offering gifts before God on what was known as the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. If you want to know more, about what this day was all about, I want to encourage you to go to Leviticus chapter 16. In Leviticus 16, you'll get a detailed description of what happened on that day. However, what you need to know is on that day, the high priest would offer sacrifices on behalf of all of the people of the nation of Israel. Their sins would be recounted, and they would be atoned for. And on this day, the high priest would enter into what is known as the Holy of Holies, or the Holy Place. And the high priest would do this only once a year. And what he would do is he would take a bull and two goats, and he would sacrifice the bull, to atone for his own sins and the sins of his own family. And then he would take the goat and he would sacrifice the goat and he would take that blood and he would sprinkle that blood over the atonement cover of the Ark of the Covenant. And so they would sprinkle this blood around the sacrifice of blood and then he would take this other goat, a goat that was known as the scapegoat. And he would lay his hands upon its head and he would basically confess all the sins of the people of Israel on this goat. And then they would take that goat and they would bring it into the wilderness 
and they would set that goat free. It was a symbol, a sign that the sins of the people of God had been taken away. Now, I want us to see who is it who fills this role perfectly? It's Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus Christ is the great high priest. It's Jesus Christ who is that sacrificial lamb whose blood was poured out for us. It was Jesus who was the scapegoat who takes away the sins of the world. What did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus? Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so Jesus is both our great high priest as well as our sacrificial lamb. That's what we saw together on Maundy Thursday. Indeed, here's what you need to know. Jesus is the only one who could take on that role. Why? Verse 14 tells us that because Jesus is the Son of God, who has come from heaven and has returned to heaven. And Hebrews 9 to 10 tells us this. But ultimately, the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. Only God can do that. And because Jesus is God, only Jesus could take away the sin of the world. Only Jesus has the power to lay down his life and to take it up again. Through the very power of God. And the only reason that Jesus could do this is because he was us. He could take our place. And yet Jesus never sinned. He was tempted in every way. He knows everything. Scripture says here this morning, he knows what you experience. Jesus knows what it's like to stub your toe. He knows what it's like to... To be hungry, or to be cold, or to be thirsty. Jesus knows what it is to be rejected by friends, to be despised by those that were around him. To know that Jesus understands. Jesus sympathizes. Jesus can relate. But notice, it says that he did not sin. It says in our passage this morning that priests, right, would try to gently correct people. But guess what? Priests in the end were still faulty. They still failed. They needed to make atonement for their own sins. And so they sacrificed a bull on their behalf. Jesus was sinless. Jesus never had to do that. He, and only he, could be our high priest and our sacrificial lamb. And to that, all we can say is, hallelujah, praise God for that. <coughs> and a lot of people know this. Sometimes, because of who Jesus is, we feel like we can't approach him. Right? Jesus is too great. He's too other. He's, he's too lofty. And so there are these things that keep us away. Because we are broken and sinful, we try to keep God at arm's length. We say, Jesus, no, I can't come to you. But I believe Hebrews 4 and 5 tell us 
that the opposite is actually true. It says that Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus understands them. It means we can come to him with all those areas of our life where we say, Jesus, I I am broken, and I am sinful, and I am weak. And Jesus knows. And what does it say he does? It says he prayed prayers of petition with fervent cries to the one who could save him from death. We can approach Jesus in our time of need. We can have a closeness with Jesus because of who he is and because of what he has done for us. I know so much of what we have talked about today relates back to what we remember on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. But I want us to keep in mind that Jesus Christ is our high priest and our sacrificial lamb who is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. What our passage says is that he has ascended to heaven. That Jesus is our great high priest and sacrificial lamb who conquered sin and death and who is alive this very day. Verse 14 reminds us of where he is, that he has ascended to heaven. But the question for us really this morning is this, what does it mean for us? I want you to think about that. What does that knowledge mean for you? And what do we do with that knowledge? That Jesus is our high priest, that he is our sacrificial lamb. First of all, here's what I believe it means, that if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, it means that you can hold firmly to this faith that we possess. What what we have, yes, we may be broken. Yes, we may be sinful, but we can cling to it. We hold firmly to it. You know, I think about when my children were little, and we would take them swimming. And when they were first learning how to swim, they would cling so tightly to us. It was almost as if they were going to squeeze the very air out of your lungs, right? And then you'd say, no, honey, you can do it. And, and you'd set them out in the water, and we were standing there together. I'd be here, and Nicole would be here. And they would start to do what? They'd start to doggy paddle through the water. And they'd be like, help me, help me. And you're like, you can do it, you can do it. And then they would get to the other side. They would get to Nicole, and they would grab onto her. And they would hold her so very tightly. We can hold tightly and hold firmly to this faith that we possess. We can cling to God with confidence. Now, do we cling with confidence because of who we are? Do we cling with confidence because of what we have done? Are we worthy enough to cling? Are we worthy enough to pray? The answer is this. We don't have confidence because of who we are. We have confidence because of who Christ is and because of what he has done for us. But that's not always the way we feel. You know, sometimes we have these things that keep us from feeling that confidence. Sometimes they may be these (coughs) sin patterns in our lives. 
these besetting sins that we hold on to. And sometimes we feel to ourselves, you know, if I really was saved, then I, I shouldn't have these feelings. I shouldn't do these things anymore. And so there are things that keep us from having confidence, from approaching his throne. And for others, maybe if you're not even following Jesus Christ at all, then you're thinking, man, all that awaits me is judgment and fire. And, and, and so you don't approach with confidence. The truth is, all of us will experience judgment. But because of who Jesus Christ is, when we have faith in him, the answer to that judgment is forgiven. And because of that, we can approach with confidence the throne. The good news of the gospel is not about our goodness, but about Christ's grace and his mercy. We receive grace and mercy in our time of need because of the grace and mercy of God and because Jesus Christ is our mediator and because he is our great high priest. And if you want to know what that means, it means you have to decide what you are going to do with Jesus Christ. You have to decide what you are going to do with this knowledge. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Now to help you with this, I want to take you back to this area that is known as Caesarea Philippi. One of the things that we learned is Jesus was really good at taking the things, the everyday things that people saw, and he would use them as teaching tools. So he would use the fig tree. He might use the vineyard. He might use water. And in this area of Caesarea Philippi, he used this as the backdrop to teach us. Now, this, I want you to see, is a river. And this is the beginning, the headwaters of the Jordan River. And you'll see back behind there, there is a hole. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. This river uh, begins here. It begins as a spring. And it's known as the Spring of Benaiah, so the Spring of Hermon. The Hermon Mountain is behind that, but the spring that pops up here. And there's two other rivers. And, man, I, I can't wait. We're going to talk about this someday. It's just an amazing picture. Two other headwaters. The, the Dan that forms it, as well as the Sinir Hasbani. And together they form the Jordan River, but it is here in this location that forms what is known as the headwaters of the Jordan River. And it takes place in front of a pagan temple known as the Temple of Pan. Notice what this next picture shows you. This shows you a rendering of what this area would have looked like here at Caesarea Philippi. And on the left is a temple to the god of Pan. Those two other places are also temples to other gods. The disciples would have been wondering, Jesus, why are you taking us to Caesarea Philippi? This is a place of evil. This is a, a pagan area. Jewish people would not have been going to an area like this. 
And on the temple, the temple that's on the left, people would offer sacrifices to the god of Pan in order to appease this god. And behind it, you will notice that hole, that next picture that you are going to see, this is known as the gates of hell. The people would stand here, they would sacrifice their children, and they would throw them into this pit, which is known as the gate of Hades, or the gate of hell. And it's against this backdrop that Jesus gathers with his disciples here on those temple steps, and he says this in Matthew chapter 16. I want you to hear what Jesus said. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But I say to you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, hell, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. <clears throat> now, if you grew up Roman Catholic, you grew up hearing that Peter was the rock. And on that rock, that they would build the church. But those of us who are from a Reformed background would say, well, no, the, the church wasn't built on a person because persons are fallible, right? Persons make mistakes. We know there's a difference in the Greek between Petra and Petros. The reformers, and what we believe is that the foundation of the church is built on a confession. The confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's against this backdrop, against the gates of hell, and by the way, the headwaters of the Jordan River, the river that makes glad the city of God, that it's here that Jesus says, what? I am the Christ. This is where we receive our hope and the promise of salvation. This is the beginning point, the pivoting point to the Gospels. It's the point that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And it is this confession that makes all the difference. It is Jesus Christ who is our high priest. It is Jesus Christ who is our sacrificial lamb. And it is this same Christ who laid down his life and who was able to pick it back up again through the very power of God and not even the gates of hell can stand against what Jesus 
Christ has brought. And beloved people, that is the hope that we have on Easter. That because Jesus Christ is our high priest and our sacrificial lamb, that we are able to enter the throne of God with confidence. Because Jesus Christ helps us in our times of need. We come to him not because of who we are or because of what we have done. We can come to him with confidence because of who he is and because of what he has done for us. But here's the key. Hebrews makes it clear. It says in 5.9, he, being Jesus, became the eternal, the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And what does that obedience look like? What does Jesus desire from us? What is the source of life? What's the source of life over sin and death and hell? How do we approach the throne of God with confidence? It is to believe and to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he is the Messiah. That he is the son of the living God. That is the confession upon which the church was built. That is the confession upon which a life of faith is built. And it is the confession that we as a church, that I as a pastor, I implore you this morning to have you make that the confession of your heart and life to know the life-giving, life-changing power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our lamb. And he is our king. May that be the confession upon which we build our lives, the hope that because Jesus is alive, we too will live. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you today and we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the hope and the power of the resurrection. We give you thanks that it's nothing that we could do to earn, that it's nothing that we could do to deserve, that it is all a free gift that you give to us. God, we thank you that this is a day that we celebrate that you are alive. That, Lord, our faith is not the faith of someone who has died, but, Lord, that our faith is a resurrection faith. And the point that because Jesus is alive, we too can live. Lord, if there is any person here who has not said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is the son of the living God, I would pray that this is the moment where they say, Lord Jesus, I confess to you all of my brokenness, all of my sin, the things that so easily entangle, and I believe 
that you are my Lord and Savior. And for those of us, Lord, who have confessed you, but Lord, who experience those seasons of doubt and worry and where we lack confidence, I pray that this is a day, Lord, where we continue to turn those things over to you, that we say, Lord Jesus, we know it is you and your resurrecting power who will give me the strength to overcome these sins that I continue to return to so that I may live for you, Lord Jesus, because you lived for me. Lord Jesus, we pray that the power of the risen Lord Jesus will rest in this place and in our hearts and lives today through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we bring these things and we pray them all in the wonderful and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. If you were encouraged by this message, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening, and check out our other discussions and messages. To learn more about Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's worship services, ministries, and events, visit us online at warsawpresby.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you again for joining us, and have a blessed day.